Welcome, welcome to another episode of Small Talk No More. I'm Alex, and today I've got with me Dave from Republic of Music. Hello, Hello. Dave. How are we? Thank you so much. I'm very good. Thank you so much for making some time for the show. Um, would you like to maybe kick it off and explain in, um, you know, a bit more about uh, who Dave is and about your experience? I am Dave Philpott. I have been working at Republic of Sync, which is a side company of Republic of Unit for the last seven years been in music and mm. labels and sync basically since I was at Bristol and started up a record label called Cup of Tea, then went and worked at Skint where we had Fat Boy Slim, which went ballistic. And then since then I've worked for various independent distributors and independent companies and set up a few of my own companies. And now I run Republic of Sync, which is my own company. Nice. You've you've had quite quite a journey. There. Yes, yeah, it's been fun. I mean, it's enjoyable, and it means I don't have to get a proper job. So, um, I I, <laughs> I mean, you do have a proper job. Like, you still have to you I know, do wake up and do your admin, and you try explaining to my mum. Yeah. I do, and you'll realise that the people don't understand what you do. <laughs> In fact, it wasn't until I got my, my yeah. music supervision credit on Luther which was probably 15, 20 years after I started work and my mum realised what I did. So I made it. Wow. <laughs> well, it's good, it's good that you managed actually to to just help her do it. Um, my mum still asks me about my job saying like, do you still have one? Um, so yeah. <laughs> I'm like, uh, yeah, I do have a job. Um, but no, it's cool. Um, so Dave, we always start the show with um, a quick Q&A with um, short questions and short answers. Uh, and then, you know, hopefully to get to know you a bit better before before we start. Are you ready for it? Yeah, I'm ready. Awesome. So let's start with what's your favorite song or album? Uh, currently, my favorite song is by the Gabriels and it's called Love and Hate in a Different Time. Mm. They're a new collective from LA. It's on Six Music A list, and it is a modern classic. It is, it's, it sounds like an old soul record with modern production, mm. and it's just brilliant. Cool, I'll check it out. Um, then, uh, who's an artist that you would love to work with? Uh, I would say either Spiritualized or The Idols. Both bands I love. Nice. Nice. Very, very good. Um, and then who's an artist that you discovered last year? Uh, Willie J. Healy. Uh, he is, I think he's Scottish. I'm not sure. He comes across as a kind of cocky little Jamie T type character when you see mm. him live. Really good. Uh, sounds very Beatles-esque. Was signed to a major and then kind of it didn't work as majors often do and now signed to Felix White's Yala label put out a record last year that is just great. And his Christmas single he wrote sounds like a John Lennon Christmas single. It's so good. It's really mm. good. Nice. Um, and then I've got a bit of a difficult choice for you. So between time, money and music, you get to keep two and one of them you cannot have. Uh, well, uh, you keep time and music as long as you've got enough money to live <laughs> then 
kind of money irrelevant to the whole situation. As long as you can just survive and do okay and feed your family, then you, you go for time and music every time. Mm. Cool, man. Good choice. Um, and then who's who's someone that you trust? Someone I trust. Oh my good god! Uh, someone I trust. <laughs> I trust Caroline Lucas because she's the only Green MP in the country, and she seems mm. like a thoroughly decent person, which I'm not sure you can say about many MPs in this country. MPs. Hmm. Okay. Um, actually, very recently, I found out there's a website where you can type the name of an MP, and it will tell you how good or bad that MP is. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna double check that actually. Well, uh, do do double check. Caroline Lucas, she votes for all the right things, and she believes in all the right things. And mm. she, I can't think of. I literally, I didn't know you were gonna ask me that question because I missed it when you sent me an email, and that's the first person I could think of. Nice. No, it's all good. Um, then a bit of advice. So if you could give your 20-year-old self a piece of advice, what would that be? Believe in yourself. Because I never really believed I would get a job in the music industry and do what I'm doing. I still don't believe in myself completely now, <laughs> but I don't mean to be arrogant, and but a little bit of arrogance and a little bit of believing that you can do it. Because I've come up, I had no musical background and I've managed to work in this industry since what, 93, mm. 92? And wow. that's that's good. And that, that, that anyone can do it. And you've just got to believe in yourself and kind of just keep going. And things mm. kind of happen. It's, it's quite difficult at times, but yeah, just keep going and do it your own way. So is there is there anyone that kind of helped you along the way? Is there anyone that, you know, when you were, you know, with low self-esteem and not thinking that you would be able to do this, is there anyone in particular that kind of mentored you along the way? Yeah, the JC Reed that used to run Skint, who was the MD of Skint, mm. was fantastic with me, just gave me loads of advice, took me under his wing and also made me work really hard because he wanted to make the company well. There's also a lady at... Um, Universal Music called Barbara Zamoyska, who I was unaware of how important she was at the time. But she, when I started at Skin, she took me under her wing and taught me loads of stuff about sync. She yeah. had the publishing on Fatboy Slim and I had the master. And she basically nice. needed me to be better than I was at the time. And she, she was great. And I owe her a massive kind of gratitude for that. That's really good, man. Um, it's, it's good to be grateful, especially when, when people are helping you out. Yeah, no, because she didn't have to do that. And she did. Yeah. She took me around. She introduced me to loads of important people and treated me like a kind of family member. She was lovely. I mean, mm. I, at the time, I was a young 24-year-old, thought I could do everything anyway, and didn't realise quite how much time she was taking out of the day to kind of help me out. So, um and still, I still I haven't spoke to her for a while, but when she's still at Universal up to a couple of years ago, we were still speaking mm-hmm. kind of once a week about stuff. No, that's really good. And so um, I guess that that kind of leads quite well into the last question of, of this uh, quick Q&A, which is what do you think is the best thing about working in sync? The fact that you get to hear new music 
all the time. And mm. sometimes you can have a really frustrating day because you're trying to find a track that fits a certain thing and you can listen to a hundred tracks and not find the right thing. But then the next day, something will drop in your box and it'll just be the most magical bit of music you've heard for the last mm. three weeks, four weeks. It's like, I don't know, there's a tune by these two people called Fake Laugh and Tarquin called Meaningful Things, which is mm-hmm. a lovely... I don't even know what it is. It's kind of electronic, but it's indie, and it's kind of like a nursery rhyme in a way, but it's just a lovely piece of music, and that that's my job. I get to sit around and listen to music all day and try and find the right things, and, yeah, I can't imagine doing anything else now. Can I ask you something super quick? Yeah. Uh, in regards to what's going on with music, uh, with music sync, sorry. Um, I was talking to um, one of the companies that I started um, collaborating with in LA and um, she mentioned that um, everything that's going on right now is worked out really well for them and uh, she sees a lot a lot of new opportunities more on the independent music side she she said that um, you know brands are not really looking to afford a-list musicians or a-list composers um, and so she sees like right now is in a fantastic time for independent musicians. Do, do you agree with that or what, what do you think that? I, to a certain extent, I do. Certain brands are scaling things back so they don't want to spend as much money. So, and the majors are not just going to just accept that. So it is a time for... It is a good time for independent music if you get yourself out there and if you're willing to kind of play ball. But the majors will, but but also brands don't want a, they want to get involved in something that nothing's happening with. So kind of like that is is okay for a certain amount of independent artists that that have things happening with the music they're putting out at the moment. So it's kind of. It's not that dissimilar to where we would be if we were in a kind of if you were in a country in a kind of financial crisis where everyone's kind of losing money, then they they're looking for the next tier down. So it gives independent artists some hope because we're more flexible. That's that's how we've mm-hmm. always kind of worked as independents because yeah. you're willing to do a deal, but you're also willing. You're only going to do the deal if it's right for you and the artist. So um. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So now that you're mentioning, you know, majors and stuff, so do you think that, um, you know, they, they're going to take more of a leading role in trying to push more of the smaller artists? And do you think that still they're going to have a lot more power this year? Or do you still think that, you know, unsigned artists and, you know, and composers that don't necessarily have a, a you know, particular deal with any sync? agency or anything like that do you think that they still have a you know a competitive edge against larger companies oh oh that is such a difficult question because the majors own the majority of catalog that your man on the street i know that's a term your person on the street as i should say now would Mm. would know so if you want a record that your average person on the bus would be able to hum along. You have to go to the majors to get that majority of the time. And 
and brands still want that familiarity with music. So, um, but when the, when they don't, when they when they don't want that familiar, familiarity, and they've got a certain budget, then going to a good independent that knows the value of music and know what they've got that will clear for that budget, then there's a good chance because the majors aren't going to change. They're going to still overquote for smaller artists because they're universal or because they're Warners. And so if you're signed on publishing to Warners or Universal and your record hasn't done very much, it's very difficult to get that cleared at the same level as an independent record that has done exactly the same amount of streams or hits or likes on Instagram or whatever. So independents are very flexible because they know the value of the music they've got in front of them. Where yeah. majors, they work work from a work from a sheet, and it's kind of the computer says no. The computer says it should be ten thousand pounds a side. When you look at the figures, and kind of nothing's happening with that. If we've got seven and a half grand a side, and that's all we've got, and majors aren't willing to do that unless they've got a good manager, kind of shouting and telling them what they need. Okay, and so. Um, talking about familiarity and, um, um, you know, again, a bit directing it to, um, you know, some of the opportunities that independent artists, independent composers might have. Um, do you, as, a, as a, someone that works in sync, what are your thoughts in terms of um, familiarity within you? So what, what do you prefer working with um people or sending briefs to people that um, you know how they work? Or do you think there's still a good time for you to start exploring other creators, musicians to, you know, for different stuff? Is that still an opportunity for people uh, within your... Literally, I just work with music and musicians that I like and I think... Actually, some some of the music I work with I don't particularly like. But I work with music that I think works for the medium that I'm working in. So, like yesterday, I can't even remember what brief it was. It was a brief for something. We got um, we sent some tracks of people we thought worked, and they they ranged from something that was released a month ago to something that was released in 1967. And right. All the tracks fitted the brief, and it did to me. It doesn't matter who they are and how many likes they've got. I get given a budget and I get mm-hmm. given a brief and I pick the music that I know will clear or I'm 95% sure will clear for that budget and it fits the brief. And the fact that someone came back and just said, well, I can't remember what they said, really liking blah, blah, it absolutely nails the brief. It's kind of like, that's my job done. It's kind of like I sent them five yeah. and one of them I thought nailed it. And if it was me and with the brief, oh, I actually thought that was the worst track I sent. But that, <laughs> the subjectiveness of this sync world, you, you pitch tracks that are all in the right ballpark. In your mind, you're thinking, mm. I, I, I like that better. And then they come back and they, they, wanted, they went for the hardest track, which I kind of misread. To kind of, but the fact that we give them a kind of broad spectrum on their brief mm. is that we've got a chance of getting one of the ones that kind of may go forward, and hopefully this one does. But um, you just do your job, move on, and hope they come back and license it. Basically. Okay. And so, what what about bespoke music? So, do you get quite involved in you know 
if you if you've got any of your composers writing a track for for a particular brief um do you get quite involved in saying oh can you change this bit or that bit that's not work quite well do you do any sort of work creative input like that or do you leave it to the client to actually say oh i like this one or i like that one i own i try to get involved at least as possible because ultimately Mm. my decision doesn't really count because you've got the client that knows what they want you've got the musician that's making it the only way Mm. way i get involved is when my composer sends me a track and I know it's wrong, I will go back to them and get them to make it right before I send it to the client. Because if you start off that far wrong, and sometimes with artists, they can just miss, get it, and they start on some avenue and they kind of just miss the point of it. And then when you explain to them, they come like, oh, ah, yeah, okay. And then they get it and... You need to you need to start by your first when you get your first draft to the client mm-hmm. it needs to be close enough for them not to just admit it and move on to someone else. So that's the only time mm-hmm. I really get involved with that. Otherwise, I'm on CC. I'm there to help, and I'm there for advice for, on the composer side about how they tack. Because sometimes the composer get asked for the impossible, and you just yeah. as a composer have got to say yes, yes, yes. And then try and think how on earth you do what they want. Sometimes they want something that just sounds awful. And every now and again, you've got to, right, they've just asked you that. Go and do it. I know it's going to sound awful, mm. but go and send it back to them saying, look, we tried what you want and I don't think it works and send it back to them. And they'll come back saying, oh, you're right. And what can we do? And then we can get creative and try and make another solution. Okay. Um, and um, in terms of that, when you know, in that communication process, um, has does it usually happen where you know the client says blue, but they actually mean yellow? Does that make sense? So, yeah, does that does that ever happen? Where, yeah, yeah sorry, go on. Because I've worked in this quite a lot, and you can't, you've seen the film, and you kind of know what they're going to end up wanting, but they yeah. want to try and do something that is kind of impossible. You kind of know what they want, but ultimately you've got to give them what they're asking for, which you know, and the composer knows isn't going to work. So they come round to your way of thinking because no one wants a piece of music Mm -hmm. on their film that doesn't work. But sometimes in their head, they've got more grand plans than actually sonically can be kind of put in place over 30 seconds Mm. or a minute or whatever the film is. Okay, interesting. Um, so, um, can I can I take it back super quick? At the, um, you know, you were you were talking about um, the songs and how you selecting the songs and um, you know the way you're working with composers. Um, so, I've got more of a like a two part question there. So, one is when you're selecting a track, okay, to to send it as part of um, a brief pitch. Um, one of the points that you mentioned is obviously the budget yeah. you know that you you're you're quite certain that you uh, they will clear for that particular budget but is there any other criteria that you usually need to keep in mind um when you're selecting songs and then before sending it to a client no basically you look at the budget and you look at the brief and you find the songs that fit that brief and you've got to think there's certain artists i deal with that won't 
clear if the budget, if the brief is for a bit of a naff brand or a naff film. So you've just got to be mm. aware of who you're pitching and what it's for and whether they'll clear it. Other than that, yeah. you just pitch the best music you've got. And to me, it's I, I never, I, I very rarely look at Spotify plays for any of the music I pitch yeah. out because to me, it doesn't mean anything. If it if it fits, it fits, and you know certain things that have got million millions of hits won't clear for certain budgets, but mm-hmm. but I've got that in my head anyway. So um, it's just pitching the best music that will clear, and, and you know with the budget that if they say we've got thirty grand aside, you know damn well that ultimately if the artist is going to come back and say, oh, actually we want seventy grand for this, they'll go and find the extra ten grand. So. Um, Mm-hmm. You just got to know that it's in that ballpark, and kind of ten grand to an advert budget is nothing. Ten grand for a film budget is massive, but people are more persuadable when it comes to films than they are when mm-hmm. it comes to doing something for a brand. Okay, and is there is there any point where you actually need to not argue, but maybe discuss? with clients the fact that maybe the budget is too low for what they're looking for is that is there any education process that you need to go I've through i've kind of given up that because most of the books I get <laughs> from people i know really well and if they give me a budget that is is too low for what they're asking for they're usually quite apologetic about it and they come like look I'm really okay. sorry we're sending this out i know it's not much money but do you have anyone up and coming that might consider this? And and mm-hmm. in, in a weird way, I've worked with bands that have gone from being kind of nothing, kind of like a few plays here and there on Spotify and Apple and stuff, and we've got their first mm-hmm. sync for very little money. But once you've got your first sync in the bag and you're pitching a track for the next sync, yeah. they don't know how much you got paid for the first one. So you use that to your advantage to get the money up next time to bargain we yeah. did this with a band called the hidden charms and who are still they they broke up after their fourth ep but i think mm. they've probably got 10 or 12 seats and they get paid reasonable money for them now why this bit i don't know because they just developed into a good band but mm. what can you do so you can okay. use and get in a small sink in your favor so it's sometimes if you're a really new band and the job pay something and it, you think it'll help you in the long run it's worth doing it's kind of making that choice mm. okay is there is there a danger there though for smaller bands to be competing with um production music libraries oh yeah completely. so that's, if it's that's always going to be the case production music is there it's pre-cleared at certain rates and yeah sometimes if you are a new band and you've got an advert for whatever small brand and they're thinking of using production music, but they've got the same budget to Mm. pay you to get your music on a TV advert. You've got to work out whether you want to take that and whether that will hinder your track and your career going forward and Mm. whether it's worth doing. And it's a difficult call. I've done it before where it's worked really well with the Hidden Charms. I've also done it, and I can't remember who it's with, where we did a really low deal on something. And then about a year down the line, we got approached for another 
brand and they didn't want to use the track anymore because they found out it was on the small commercial we did. And that was great. Mm-hmm. But the artist took that decision and mm-hmm. that's what it is. So you have to you have to think about it and think yeah. how it might affect you in the future. I think that's a very, very good point actually. Um so um you mentioned bands and you mentioned you know working with bands and stuff. So is there is there any particular style of music that you see that is quite you know uh, growing in terms of requests? Is there any any style, any genre that you prefer working with or or is quite open and, and is quite flexible? I'm really open and flexible, kind of my musical tastes and Kind of, if you ask me what my favorite track is, it changes weekly, basically, mm. on kind of what. So, <laughs> nice. I think I'm really infused by the kind of. Two years ago, you couldn't get arrested having a guitar on any track, really. But now, because mm. of the Idols and Fontaine's DC and various other bands, mm. that there's a kind of like people, they're in briefs now. You get kind of punk briefs and stuff like that, which I'm really excited about because. Punk is probably what, where what I grew up with, mm-hmm. and so that's quite exciting. But there's all you always get kind of black keysy kind of the heavy kind of briefs coming in all the time, but then mm. you always get flume and disclosure kind of briefs kind of like for that kind of high end electronics. So I don't mm. think there's any. You get a lot more kind of grimy hip hoppy kind of briefs these days than we used to, which is a good kind of yeah. show shows that. Well, it shows that that music is coming into the mainstream and brands are now not scared to essentially put a black voice on their um, TV advert. It's because they're not scared that it will take some of their customers away, which is fucking ludicrous that we're still in a position where that might even be a question you ask yourself. But the fact that these are coming through more now means that we are breaking that ceiling and people are realising that music is music, whether it's made whoever it's made by so um that is quite yeah. encouraging no i i think that's a really really interesting actually especially um again i'm i'm i also agree that it's quite surprising that people are at at least having the thought of oh if i put this track there's you know um a, a black voice i might lose customers have you have you found many situations I, i've like never I've, ne- I've never been party to them but you know they're there because i see the briefs i have got over the last yeah. and there hasn't been that much call for kind of grime hip-hop in mm. ads for many years and it's now beginning to not be the norm but beginning to not be kind of not be not be overlooked, should we say? So it, it, it's there be yeah. it's kind of it's out there being used now. So um, that's yeah, and that that has been. It's, it's kind of like I can't, for years. I imagine until kind of people like Sam Smith having a kind of gay artist on your advert might not be seen to be the right thing to do either. But now mm. you've got kind of very openly gay massively famous artists I'm, I'm sure there's loads of others and i can only think of sam smith now mm. when my brain's going blank and that's good and then you look at kind of billy eilish 
and she's broken so many boundaries with what she does and how she yeah. approaches things just from that idea that she wears baggy clothes so none of the tabloids can take any pictures mm-hmm. and start talking about her cellulite, yeah. which is ludicrous that anyone has to do that these days. But things have changed. You've got Billy Eilish, you've got Adele, who is plus size and yet is massively famous and no one questions her because yep. she's Adele. And as I say, you've got Sam Smith, the kind of gay guy who did the Bond theme tune. How bizarre is mm-hmm. that? That would never have happened in the 80s, for fuck's sake. So things are moving in the right direction. And, yeah, I just love the fact that we've got the idols going to number one one week and then you've got, I don't know, the 1975 mm-hmm. going the next week and just kind of loads of different interesting music that are saying different things. Hmm. So hold on, you've raised a really interesting point here because, you know, what what I get out of what you just mentioned is the fact that brands, you know, ad, ad, ad agencies, they don't just listen to the music itself, but more look at the whole package. They see who the artist is and, you know, what the artist is about. So do you think that that's something to keep in mind when pitching music? Is it about, okay, so I'm sending this song and it's by an artist that stands for X, Y, and oh, Z. 100%. And I'm sending this. Because, well, you, you, you've you seen all the artists getting kind of, I think it's called cancelled these days. Why Marilyn Manson has just been dropped by his label. You got Ariel Pink going mm. on a, um, a pro-Trump march and getting dumped by his label. You've got, who's that Canadian? Ryan Adams kind of being dumped by everyone for sexually abusing various females over the course of... Uh, and, People, yeah. you've got to look at that. And if you remember, there was a dance act called, oh, fuck, what was his name? He had a song called 10,000 Dinosaurs. He was from Lithuania. He was going to be the next kind of disclosure, was just signed to a major label, doing well, and then went, mm. got drunk, went on Facebook and did a massive anti-gay rant about how oh. despicable gay people are. And literally, overnight, yeah. he went from being the next big thing to literally couldn't get arrested. And he tried to apologise for it, but if you saw the rant, there's no apologising mm-hmm. from that. And it was so... This was probably about six years ago. I remember his name at some point. And, and see, what he said was awful, And it was, but even I end up feeling a little bit sorry for him because he had destroyed everything. And... It was just awful. So brands have got to look at that and they've got to look at what people are saying about things. You can't go and put, if you had an aerial pink track on your advert for Apple or something, and then he goes out and supports Trump, then I don't think that's a good look. So you're having to look at what artists are saying and where they stand kind of politically and other kind of issues that they are supporting or not supporting. So, mm-hmm. and the same with brands. Kind of, like I've had artists that have turned down doing a Hugo Boss fashion show because Hugo Boss made the um, um, the uniforms for the Nazis, which I yeah when I was when I was doing the job, I had absolutely no idea. And it's kind of like, well, what, I can't remember. He was a very cool artist. But he was on Domino, and I was kind of like, oh my good god! And I looked it up, and he was right. And I was kind of like, oh. Oh, um, I didn't know what to think about then. But um, obviously, I was on the job, and I couldn't really then turn it all down. But, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, that's probably ranting about something slightly different. But. 
Yeah. Okay. So um, then talking again about about the artists. Um, so you know you've already mentioned you know criteria for songs and then also what brands are looking into. Um, so how about when you're when you're looking to to get a writer, a composer, or a songwriter to to do a track um, to a brief? Um, what is the sort of criteria that you follow? What do you think that it's key for a, a music creator to have um, before you actually get uh, in touch with them to say, "Hey, I've got this brief. Can you write something?" Well, uh, they've just they've got because you get the brief from the agency, and whether it's and you've just got to look at what they want, and then yeah. go and look yeah. at the people you work with that will be most suited to delivering that. And it's just a case of knowing how flexible people are and how good they are with certain sounds. And kind of it all depends on each brief who I will go to. I always, all the composers I've ever worked with are people that have actually either are still making records that are out there selling or mm. people that have for years made a living out of being nice. I find it, I, I failed to find many people that are solely just composers that can work on an ad brief. There's people that do score for films, mm. which is a very different medium that do that yeah. really well. And that's what they do because that's a, that's a proper soundscaping job where adverts over a certain period of time i tend to think if you go to your average production music library and you look at their ad briefs mm. by the people that haven't gone and made music they feel like it's someone shut in a dark room making six tracks a day which haven't got mm -hmm. they don't they just lack a bit of soul and they would do if you're sitting in a dark room just knocking out five yeah. records a day they're not they're not going to have the soul where if you're collaborating with a band or if you're collaborating with your own r man or an r person at a record label there's more kind of there's just a lot more to the record mm -hmm. okay um can i ask you again about styles and stuff so you did mention that there's you know there's a bit of a variety and then you know you get requests for all sorts um but i'm guessing as well that most brands are going to go for something that's a bit more, at, at least a bit more commercial, a bit um, more family friendly. Well, it depends, on, if it's going it to be depends on the brand. If you are Apple, yeah. they're not going to go for family friendly. Mm. They want something that's going to excite people and going to make people Edge, look at yeah. the TV screen as soon as it comes on. Mm. And even if you look at Cabaret's years ago, when they had the monkey playing the drums and it was Phil Collins. Oh, yeah. In the air tonight, maybe it was a Phil Collins song. And that was just kind of bizarre. It, it was quite mainstream, but it was such a bizarre yeah. thing that it got everyone talking about it. And I think brands are, are playing it, main brands are playing it a little bit safe these days because years mm -hmm. ago you would try and put the most awkward record on a um, advert. Like Levi's. Levi's, when they put Mr. Wazzo, uh, which I can't remember what the track was called, but it had a little um, flat, it was called Flat Eric, and it had a little um, uh, yellow puppet in the video. But when they put that on, which is a kind of squelchy acid electro track, they pull it on there because they wanted people to come, what the 
fuck is that? And then see yeah. a pair of Levi jeans in the advert. And that, that worked really well for them, finding kind of odd, because they had um, Silk Skin, which is a kind of quite heavy rock record as well. And they then had Mizawazo. Then they had Spaceman by someone free. We end up being a one-hit wonder, but it was a crazy kind of David Bowie-esque kind of indie mm. rock record. And Levi's really worked their music really well at that time. And I don't think there's anyone really doing that these days that are really taking enough risks. And I wish they'd take more risks, but um, you have to play with what you've got, really. So, um, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, that, that, that's that's more or less what I meant in terms of like brands going for something that might be less risky, I guess. But um, what I wanted to ask you is your perspective on what the video game landscape is doing, because you know, stuff like hip-hop tracks or really heavy metal songs, they've always been part of video games. Like, there's been video games that the entire soundtrack is really a hardcore metal songs. And that's not the sort of thing that a brand would want to be, um, you know, linked to. You know, you don't really listen to hardcore metal bands. So, you know, great metal band from Brighton, Architects, you don't see them um, on, you know, your TV advert but they're more likely to get onto your video game. So do you think that that kind of rise of, of video games lately is kind of bringing extra opportunities, is making things to be a bit more flexible and opening doors to styles that would not really be linked to both? Oh, definitely. If you look at um, computer games, well, there's two things in computer games. If you look at Grand Theft Auto and how they've done that with the mm. different radio stations, yeah. there's so much scope for good, interesting music. We've got an um, electronic artist called Kane, who no one has really heard of, who got onto um, Grand Theft Auto, and we've, we've had various other tracks on various Grand Theft Autos, and that opens up so much music for every genre of music, and the people at Rockstar do that really well. And there's certain games that, like EA, um, the FIFA um 2020, 2019, they've always been seen yep. as the soundtrack to that is the cool music that's coming out now. And they've, they've marketed mm. that and they've done that really well. But then when you get the big game-playing games like Horizon Zero Dawn, these are majority done in-house. So the, the game's maker and the game's producer, whether that is one of the big kind of Microsoft or Sony PlayStation or whether it's done by a smaller developer and then marketed by Sony. They have in-house composers and they get them mm-hmm. to sit with the game developer and make the soundtrack. And so that is where years ago they didn't have these in-house. So there would be more there'd be more music being used in those sort of games rather than it all being in-house. But they do do it really well. The Horizon Zero Dawn soundtrack, which was a number one game last year, the year before, is great. And it's why mm. one of them, Ivan Novella, so it's got to be pretty good. Well, thank you so much, Dave, for uh, your insights and um, for spending some time with me today. And uh, yeah, that's the end of our show. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining for another episode of Small Talk No More. My name is Alex, and we'll see you again next week.